I had not anticipated that when I became a parent, my family would be held up by a small community of elderly Franciscan monks. It had never occurred to me. So much of what we're taught about growing up, having kids, setting out on a career path, it all tends to be directed in individualistic terms. Sure, we talk about how it takes a village and all that, but that life can still be awfully isolated for a lot of folks. About a month before my daughter Alice was born, though, the, the village became a refrain across our days. We moved into an upstairs apartment in this ramshackle old building alongside seminarians in several other units. Franciscan brothers, though, they lived on the first floor of the building and both by necessity and desire, there was plenty of shared life. There was collaborating in troubleshooting the surprises of a treacherous laundry room and sharing in meals and prayers and then experiencing the humor of one single thermostat that controlled the whole of the building. Still, though, I thought of us as neighbors who had an impact on one another, but who were still pretty well siloed. When Alice was just a day or two old, the brothers invite us, invited us in, eager to meet her. Brother Derek, the leader of the community, took her in his arms. Originally from England, he had served all over in many different places, and he was now nearly 80 and frail. Cradling this newborn, Brother Derek looked up at Jesse and me, and beaming and chuckling, he exclaimed, I am so delighted to finally meet our baby. Our baby, he said. And that is precisely how he referred to her from then on. How is our baby? Is our baby letting you sleep? Can I give our baby some of my pudding yet? At first, I thought it was just this funny turn of phrase that he used, but slowly I began to recognize that but no, he meant it. This child belonged to the whole community. Brother Derek's words echoed the core of our first reading today. Here in the Acts of the Apostles, we've jumped forward in time. The news of the resurrection has spread. The disciples have slowly begun coming to grips with their mysterious and wonderful and challenging new reality. Jesus has left them again, and this Holy, the Holy Spirit has come to them at Pentecost. And now they are beginning to settle into that long stretch of 
everything that comes next, of learning how to live out these teachings and gifts in community. It sounds like they remain deeply inspired. Some of the real hardships have not landed yet. And we hear that the whole group of those who believed were of one heart and soul. But it wasn't just a feeling. They lived this out practically. We're, we're told that everything they owned was held in common. This story right here, this is where we get some of the earliest Christian teachings on living with a common purse, on what now seems to be this radical notion of rejecting personal property, even as a concept, in favor of a more communal practice. Every time I have heard this passage, I've taken it to be primarily about money, about physical things that we need and want, and about that which we have and could share or not. And I think it is about that. This is a teaching by example of how we can live generously and graciously in community. And and as I've walked around in this reading all week, I've come to a place where I don't think it was solely about money. I think it was a whole way of being. Can we hear it more expansively? Nothing belonged to just one person. Everything was held in common. This little village of followers joined in their belief, their trust. They were of one heart and soul. They recognized that they were fundamentally connected. They lived with such a degree of awareness of that, that both resources and needs were shared. Yes, but, but not just the ones that were concrete. This is not just about a common purse, but a common well, a gathering and, and sharing of all the well-being and trials of the group, carrying one another in heart and mind and soul. It is fitting that in Acts we watch how this truth can play out when in our gospel reading we see them just scratching the surface of this way of being kin. It is risky to be so honest. Both asking for what we need and offering what we have can be precarious. This kind of self-revelation requires a lot of heart on both sides of the exchange. Come back with me to that upper room, to the disciples still spinning from the news, from what they've seen and experienced of the risen Christ. Well, all of them, except for Thomas. He missed out. We don't hear why he was gone, only that he missed Jesus showing up earlier in the week. He can't tell what's happening if they're messing with him, or if they're hallucinating, or 
if they're all in shock. He needs more. He needs to see and hear for himself. He needs to touch Jesus, to feel his wounds, to know through his own experience that this new life is unfolding in an astonishing way. Thomas has been on the receiving end of a lot of judgment and shaming for 2,000 years now, scorned for his supposed disbelief. But friends, it's not there. It's not in the story. What is there is Thomas sharing freely and honestly what he needs, what he longs for. The other disciples do not mock him. They do not question his desire nor his hesitation. And neither does Jesus. He knows what Thomas needs, and he shows up again and offers it. Jesus invites Thomas to come close, to extend a hand intimately, tenderly, to touch Jesus where he is still wounded. Jesus knows that not everyone will have this opportunity, that all the rest of us will have to find other ways to draw near and experience his resurrected presence. And there will be blessing to be found there. But still, he does not dismiss or belittle Thomas. Jesus welcomes him, holds him fully, this life, this way of holding all things in common, of being held in sacred community, this is what the resurrection makes possible. Jesus enters in and offers his peace, which somehow strengthens us to carry one another. He sees our need and responds to it with compassion and shows us how to do the same. He shows us how to belong to one another, to hold everything, all of it, together. It's not just our money, our things, our resources, though these matter. What might shift if you knew your burden was held? by the whole community. How then would you live if you could trust that your biggest questions, your deepest longings would be met and welcomed and honored? And stepping into another vantage point in that beloved gathering, what would grow in you if you approached your kindred's blessing and desperation as your own, if you joined them in bearing their sorrow and their joy, new life begins to take root there. A way of abundance comes within reach that would never be possible if we tried to hold it all and keep it all to ourselves. This is what the resurrection invites, knitting us together as this big, wild body of Christ, where incredibly, 
even with and especially with all our difference, we are still of one heart and one soul. My daughter was never just my own. She was our baby, all of ours. The same is true for all our gifts and all our struggles. We are to carry them together, to offer them up, to trust the grace of holding all in common. 